Hello and welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. On this episode, I want to start by talking about uh, a column that you recently wrote about Kirsten Cinema, recommending that she transfer, uh, leave the Democratic Party and change her official registration as an independent. And I think that uh, that conversation will also relate to some uh, a push by some conservative writers to have some conservatives also running as a as independent and and then towards the end we'll talk about uh, possible voting reforms uh, that might help us to avoid these problems that we're gonna that we're going to talk about on the podcast um, <clears throat> but I guess the uh, just to introduce your column I guess it starts with a premise that both parties are both heading in in bad directions, right? I that is my view, um, uh, but it was more a reflection of um, where cinema sits in uh, the political landscape today and what her options are. She has um, a choice to make as to what political risk she wants to run. Does she want to run the risk of? being challenged in a Democratic primary, or does she want to run the risk of trying to win statewide election uh, as an independent? And for a variety of reasons, I think that her life would be uh, far more pleasant uh, if she did uh, re-register as an independent and run for re-election as an independent. Uh, And she might um, be the catalyst Uh, to move uh, Arizona politics in a healthier, less partisan uh, direction. Um, But it wasn't born as much out of my growing uh, disgust at both political parties and my feeling that increasingly they are a detriment rather than a benefit to good governance and more on her peculiar uh, circumstances uh, uh, within the Democratic Party and an evenly divided U.S. Senate. So the the issue that progressives so it's kind of this battle in the Democratic Party between progressives and and more moderates, and the progressives want cinema to go along with this big reconciliation uh, deal that's been proposed that that Biden seems to be supporting, uh, even though he ran more as a as a moderate at least relatively speaking, but they want her to go along with all these, everything that's in this $3.5 trillion um, spent tax and spend package um, that cinema does not want to, does not want to uh, spend that much. She's got some problems with the bill. And also there's, it seems like there's other Democrats like Joe Manchin and maybe some other ones that aren't being as vocal that are also opposed to this. Um, Bill, but do the progressives have have a point at all? I mean, they did they not? Uh, you're right that Cinema did not campaign as a as a progressive. She um, campaigned as a sort of a bipartisan moderate. But don't progressives has a have a point in the sense that uh, without their support, without them knocking on doors, without their activism, um, without the Bernie Sanders wing of the party after losing to Biden, um, getting fully on board with 
with Biden um, and at, you know in, in 2020, but also Cinema was elected in, in 2018. Doesn't Cinema owe it to the progressive wing of the party to be a good team player uh, and to help them achieve the policy fights that they're that they're doing right now? She actually did more for them than they did for her. Um, a candidate that ran on their agenda would have had the same result as uh, David Garcia had in the gubernatorial race, uh, where he ran as a progressive uh, hardliner and lost decisively to Doug Ducey. Um, Cinema owes her victory uh, to those who voted for her for U.S. Senate and Doug Ducey uh, for governor. Uh, if they, they, the progressives could have knocked on twice as many doors and had three times uh, the level of grassroots activism, uh, but if they had a candidate that ran on their agenda, that candidate would have lost to Martha McSally, even as close as McSally was clinging to uh, Donald Trump, who uh, was a figure that uh, massively uh, turned out Democrats, in fact, probably is more responsible for the rise in Democratic turnout than the activities of the progressives. Uh, but um, cinema uh, ran on a particular platform of seeking bipartisan consensus. Uh, what they're demanding is that she uh, jettison the filibuster, uh, not only I mean, reconciliation doesn't include the filibuster, but in addition to buying everything that the progressive wants want in the reconciliation bill, they're demanding that her that she get rid of the filibuster generally, that she get rid of it for voting rights legislation, that she be willing to overturn the parliamentarian saying that uh, legalization for dreamers uh, can't be done through reconciliation. Uh, and it's an ever-expanding agenda. Um, Cinema never said that she would vote to jettison uh, the filibuster. In fact, she said exactly the opposite. Her position has been consistent. She's doing precisely what she told Arizona voters that she would do. Um, but the pressure on her mounts, and it gets nastier and nastier. It's getting more and more confrontational. Uh, which is why I raised the issue of just in terms of quality of life, yeah. uh, whether she wants to spend the next three years being putting up with that uh, or whether she wants to go ahead and declare her independence. She would still caucus with the Democrats. She would still be the key vote. But the threat to primary her would evaporate. And she could turn her attention to doing what she could to maximize her chances of winning as an independent in a general election. And if there's a Bernie Sanders Democrat and a Donald Trump Republican, I think she'd have a decent shot at accomplishing that, and it would move Arizona politics in a much healthier direction, which might be an ambition that appeals to her. Yeah. The other thing that strikes me as weird is just tactically, it seems like what the progressives are doing is a is a bad move. I mean, Cinema, she negotiated uh, and, and spearheaded really this deal, this infrastructure deal uh, that was $1.5 trillion that is going to uh, 
you know, go towards public transportation and rebuilding highways and, and broadband internet and just really tangible, practical things that she got Republicans on board with. And this was something that, you know, was a big joke during the Trump years of, oh, it's infrastructure week, but never was, but he wasn't, fo- he was never focused and he was not a deal maker. Uh, but, but cinema did make that, make the deal and even, even did so despite Biden not being able to decide who he's, you know, who what he wants and what he supports. So on the day that they announced that that cinema had the Republicans on board for a deal, Biden goes, "Well, I might not pass this if if we don't also pass this other, you know, reconciliation deal." So he was almost an obstacle to his own uh, his own infrastructure deal, which would be a huge win, which they need, which Democrats need, you know, going into the. 2020 elections. And so I think if, if you're trying to get cinema on board with something, pass the infrastructure deal right away. I mean, what it, it's, it's, I don't see how that can be leveraged. I think that, you know, why not give the whole Democratic Party that deal, give yourselves momentum, and then, and then, and then use that because if you don't win in 2020, you know, it seems like maybe they don't think they're going to win in 2022. So the, so the progressors are like, well, we better get everything that we want right now. Otherwise, we're not going to have power in in 22. But it seems to me like it would make more sense to try to make your party as popular as possible, gain seats in 2022, and then try, you know, set your sights higher if you, if you want to after that. Some of it is motivated by a fear of losing uh, control of one or both houses in the 2022 election. And historically, the president's party has lost seats uh, in uh, non-presidential elections. Um, But the larger motivation, I think, uh, is that uh, the hard edge of the progressive movement doesn't care about things like infrastructure and broadband and fixing roads. Uh, They want to refashion the United States in uh, the image of a European social democracy. And Biden's Build Back Better plan, uh, encompassed by the reconciliation bill, would take a giant stride in that direction. So they feel as though they have the ability to cram that through uh, but cinema's insistence uh, on bipartisanship and resistance to that uh, is frustrating what they most uh, care about. Um, and so I think it's more motivated by the commitment to the policy uh, than it is a tactical fear of losing an opportunity if you don't take advantage of it now. They do believe that if they could pass the uh, reconciliation bill as the House has fashioned it, that that would be hugely popular and give them the best chance of uh, countering the historical trend that the president's party loses seats uh, in the off-presidential year. Yeah, and I don't, I've, I've, I've seen poll numbers on some of the specific things that are in the Build Back Better deal and they and they do seem like they would be probably popular but um not the whole not you know probably not the whole thing uh, as it is especially a lot of uh like tim tim miller of the bulwark and some other writers have pointed out that 
you know, nobody knows about those things. All you're doing is arguing about this top, who, you know, what's the top line number, blah, blah, blah. And the American people don't exactly know what, what they're fighting for. Um, and well, so, so it, that's a problem. It, <clears throat> undoubtedly that if, if the reconciliation bill passed, um, some of these social welfare expansions would be, would, would develop a built-in constituency that uh, would uh, like them and uh, politically support their continuance. That's the calculation that progressives are, are making. Uh, but I do believe that the tax plan to partially finance it uh, will result in a uh, less robust economy. Uh, and uh, people's perception of the economy oftentimes uh, trumps any other consideration in uh, casting a ballot. Yeah, and it seems like it also runs a risk if they do pass it. I mean, I want, there's, a, there's a possibility that neither, neither one of them pass the, the infrastructure or the reconciliation deal. But if 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 they both pass, if 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 uh, whatever they do on the reconciliation bill, assuming it's huge spending it also runs the risk right of if you know if the economy goes worse and inflation gets more out of control that uh you know now we're already seeing supply chain issues and whatnot that all that blame is going to go on the on the democrats and they're going to own that well in in reality there is no true deadline uh, for either cinema's infrastructure bill or Biden's reconciliation bill. These, these deadlines are completely artificial. There are some real deadlines approaching. Um, after December 3rd, there's no authority uh, for to keep the government open. Uh, the <laughs> Congress has not passed a uh, budget for the fiscal year that we're currently in. The federal government will again run out of borrowing capacity uh, those are real deadlines of consequence. Yeah. And rather than figuring out how to pass a budget that lasts for the rest of the year, how to handle uh, the debt limit so that we don't uh, run the risk of uh, default or, or, or continue to approach uh, these kind of deadlines, they're trying to negotiate a deal on these two things that don't face a similar deadline. So I think Democrats do run the risk of being perceived uh, as incompetently managing uh, the national government. Um, and, and they have misplaced priorities. They ought, to, they ought to be dealing with getting a full-year budget and getting the debt ceiling problem resolved. And there's really no time deadline on negotiating these other two um, bills that are preoccupying them. Yeah, I, I want to transition in just a second to talking about the Republican Party. Um, but um, and we don't have to get the, into this as a, as a whole different different topic, kind of. But <clears throat> um, I heard uh, New York Times conservative columnist Brett Stevens was on a podcast recently. I forget which one, but he made a good point that I, I was interested in your take on is, 
you know, historically, we've only been in massive debt and taken on massive uh, debts for like emergency situations like wars, um, economic crises. And I guess you could say that COVID is had that. But would with the with the massive debt that we're taking on and, and spending even more, um, would that run the risk? Let's say there is a new, a new crisis. Um, let's say there is another war uh, or something like that. Would that hurt us our, our ability financially to um, to be able to to go into more debt uh, to cover that? Or is that uh, at, at in the short term? Are we able to go into just infinite debt to to Right now, credit markets are willing to lend the federal government um, unlimited amounts at very low interest rates. That could change at any given point in time. Uh, and I think the inability to adopt a full-year budget running up to the midnight hour on losing our borrowing capacity increases the likelihood of that changing, that credit markets will ask for much higher interest rates and uh, perhaps um, not even be willing to buy all of the debt that the federal government wants to issue. If that were to happen, um, it would have a dramatic crowding out effect on uh, other uh, parts of the federal budget. I mean, right now, uh, servicing the national debt uh, is is not a large expense because of the low interest rate uh, that we have. Uh, that could change overnight. Um, and in addition to being able to borrow if there's another catastrophe or emergency, the Medicare Hospitalization Trust Fund uh, runs out of money in 2026. The Social Security Trust Fund runs out of money in 2034. We need to retain some physical capacity to deal with those problems. Uh, and it is, in my judgment, irresponsible to be pushing ahead with a massive in expansion in the entitlement state when the existing entitlements are in serious financial trouble and nobody's looking at it. So uh, right now, the federal government can borrow unlimited amounts of money at, at very low interest rates. I think we're living on borrowed time, so to speak. Uh, and uh, the credit markets at some point in time, and it may not be a distant point in the future, uh, will no longer be willing to do that. And uh, the party that might bring up issues like the Social Security and Medi Medicaid um, funds uh, are currently spending their time making banning vaccine mandates on private companies like over in Texas and then Relitigating the the 2020 election that's been in Arizona at least thoroughly debunked uh, the idea that uh, there there was fraud that would that would uh, change the election. The, the Maricopa County um, 
supervisors and, and everyone um, on that team has done an excellent job, I think, of and, and, and journalists as well, of, of, of um, establishing that uh, the 2020 election was free and fair and the, and the results were accurate. Um, but that the, these cultural war stuff and then and then Trump's inability to to accept his his own defeat seems to have just totally consumed the Republican Party um, to the point where it's it's crazy. And, and and Jonah Goldberg, who writes for the the Dispatch, he wrote a column recently in the in the L.A. Times saying that that the that the way he basically advocates for a third party conservative. Um, party uh, in Arizona might be an independent because we can have we have independence here but maybe in different states having having someone that could so that that never trump people that that people who don't like where the Republican party is going they would at least have someone to vote for rather than having to say okay I've got this this election denying Republican that's going to promise that's promising to not certify the, the, a future election, like Carrie Lake is saying right here in Arizona, um, or someone who's, who's um, you know, just completely not conservative <laughs> is the point that, that he makes. At least you would have an option for someone to, to vote for someone you believe in rather than having to vote for the Democrat if you're trying to stop this, this you know, as you call it, pop, you know, populist uh conservative that's that's even unhinged to the point where they're not even connected to like reality anymore what do you make of that is you know you've you've said that cinema um might have a have an opportunity to even win uh, in 2024 is when she's up uh, as an independent is that possible in 2022 with a conservative uh run, running as an independent i mean there's not a what are your what are your thoughts on that uh, I do think cinema has a realistic chance to win as an independent. I don't think a traditional conservative um, who's unwilling to uh, stomach uh, the craziness that has captured the uh, Republican Party would. Uh, that That is not necessarily a reason not to do it. Um, it can be uh, instructive. It can... Uh, create, um, it, 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 it can advance the traditional conservative position and separate it uh, from uh, Trumpism. And that might be valuable in and of itself. But I think for, um, let's call it a realistic conservative uh, to have a chance to win a statewide race, uh, it probably requires structural reform, something like a top two um, primary. Uh, and I think that a realistic um, conservative would have even an upper hand with that kind of structural reform. Now, you've made the point um, on several times uh, that in a uh, Republican Party with uh, multiple candidates, you know, Republican primary with multiple candidates, uh, there might be a lane for someone who at least charted an independent path of from Trumpism and wasn't simply trying to run as a mini-Trump. Uh, and I think that that is a realistic lane in 
some of these uh, races. So um, I don't think it's a path to victory, uh, but it might be um, something that advances traditional conservatism and uh, separates it from Trumpism. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why nobody's like. There's not. There's not a single. And that's what some of the debate was. Jonah Goldberg thought that an independent conservative would um, would, would would not win, but would um, prevent a uh, prevent a anti-democratic Republican, um, a non-conservative Republican from, and, and that Trump, non-conservative. I, I think we both consider that Trumpism and this more populism uh, type conservative is not conservative. So, so having a real uh, conservative running would at least prevent um, a non-conservative and, and even a non-conservative Trumpist that's the point where they're against, you know, but transfers of power. Would that, would that have an effect of helping reform the Republican Party? Like would, if someone like that ran... Um, and where that maybe smaller percentage of, of Republicans, independents would vote for them. Would that cause an effect on the Republican Party to, to self-correct? It, or, or if not, what is the self-correction that could possibly happen um, I don't, for the Republicans? In the short term, and, and, and this is the dilemma, um, that would make it more like would make the election of a Bernie Sanders Democrat more likely, not not just a cinema centrist Democrat, but a true Bernie Sanders uh, Democrat would have a chance against a, a three-way race uh, with a traditional conservative and a populist conservative. So that's the dilemma and that's the risk in that strategy. Uh, I don't think in the short term it would uh, cause the Republican Party uh, to reform, uh, to incorporate the traditional conservatives uh, who uh, find much of Trumpism abhorrent. in the because uh, practical tacticians are not in charge of the Republican Party right now. Uh, Donald Trump is. Uh, And uh, my own belief is at some point uh, the Trump fever breaks. Uh, I do believe that most Republican office holders are at root um, pretty much traditional uh, Republican conservatives. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it may be that election defeats uh, will accelerate the time when uh, the Trump fever breaks. Uh, we've had this discussion before, and it's certainly true. Trump is remaking the party in his image, and all Republican candidates are running as many, many Trumps. Uh, but I don't believe that survives Trump. Um, so that may be a forlorn hope. It may be a yeah. false hope. 
but I do believe that it is self-correcting over time. Yeah, I think Joe Goldberg's point was was that um, the way the Republican Party is going, what, what is it? If you're a conservative, what does it matter? It, you know, you have a you have a big government Democrats, you got big government Republicans. I mean, these quote unquote populists, you know, they don't they don't. I think most of them are are con artists, uh, and I think they're. I mean, look at Steve Bannon. I mean, he's he was. <laughs> he's he was convicted of or he was being indicted for fraud, for ripping off Trump supporters in a in a build the wall like scam and he got and you know so and I think a lot of them are don't believe it themselves they're not doing it for the working class they're they're saying ridiculous things because it's it's what is driving the social media um of the, of the, of the act of these activist populists but they don't believe you know these um uh, populist slash Trumpist candidates, they don't believe in limited government. They don't believe in free markets, really. They're, they don't even, and, and they're now attacking like our, the, the, our very elections. So you could even, I mean, I think Jonah Goldberg is saying it's either or, but I think you can argue that, that the Trump, if the Trump Republicans took power, it would be worse in term, if you are conservative in terms of what they would do with that power. Well, it, it would be... A mixed bag. Um, the, the populist, big government conservatives don't want nearly as big of a government as the Bernie Sanders uh, Democrats uh, do. Um, the uh, danger is um, Trump's attempted coup and the unwillingness of Republican office holders and officials uh, to denounce it and even be complicit in it. Um, that is the thing which might justify a short-term abandonment of the Republican Party, uh, even at the cost of potentially elevating uh, Bernie Sanders' uh, Democrats. There's, there's nothing more fundamental uh, than the integrity of the democratic process uh, Trump uh, tried to undermine and overturn that process, and Republican Party office holders and officials uh, were complicit in it and remain complicit today. Goldberg is right in that respect. That's a very, very big deal. But with respect to policy, there's still a substantial difference between where the Bernie Sanders Democrats would take the country and where populist conservatives would take the country. The other thing I'd, I, I don't understand is, you know, this is American democracy. You have, you know, politics being played at the highest levels of, of you know, the national government. Supposedly these cutthroat, you know, competitors uh, on the national stage. I don't understand why they haven't been more um, ruthless about getting Trump out of the way. You know, they could have, it, it could have removed him for the impeachment. Republicans could have removed him from impeachment after the, after the Capitol riot, and he would have been disqualified from ever running again. Problem solved. I mean, they would have got some backlash, obviously. He would be trying to undermine their cause like he's doing now. Um, it would have cleared the field for their successors. <laughs> it, well, yeah, it would have cleared the field so that they could 
not have to worry well, about well, all this anymore. Not, not, and, not, and, not for them, because they probably would have lost primary elections after the fact, and the ones that voted for impeachment may... We'll, we'll, we'll get a test case of that, because Trump is uh, strongly um, opposing candidates in primaries who voted for... Uh, his, his impeachment. But even here in Arizona, I mean, why doesn't any of these candidates uh, for Senate or, or governor just say, you know what, we're going straight at Trumpism. We're going straight at this lie that he didn't win the election. We're going to, you know, why not just undercut the whole thing just to win? You'd think that if one of them, you know, decided to do it, they could, I they could, at least take out this this dangerous current, um, or the, even it feels like everyone's running the exact same campaign, and it's all playing. It's all catering to um, that. That the, part is is absolutely true, um, and I believe that there is a moral imperative for Republican um, office holders, officials, and candidates to denounce uh, Trump's attempted coup in the 2020 election. I'm not convinced that that part is part of a path to victory, even in a multiple-candidate Republican primary. I believe an independent path, uh, one that isn't trying to run on the Trump agenda or cater to the Trump voter, uh, that... Um, for instance, in the governor's race, uh, where none of them are talking about Arizona issues. None of them are talking about any issues. That's uh, well, well, they're talking about national issues exactly. that the governor has nothing to say about. So I, I think a Republican candidate who said, um, I'm not, you know, I, I Trump lost the election, but doesn't go on the attack uh, about it, acknowledges the fairness and accuracy of the election results, but says, I'm about Arizona, and I have an agenda for Arizona, and here's my agenda, and this is what I want to do as governor. I think that person would have um, a lane uh, that would uh, have a chance for victory. And there's some, there's one candidate, Kimberly Yee, who is not going to win a competition to be a Trumpster. Um, she's going to be outspent, and there's a, people are going to be willing to say crazier things uh, than her in support of Trump. She's got a background as a policy wonk. Um, that, that is her only path to victory, uh, and um, she's not following it. Yeah, and I think, you know, I guess I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that someone should just go and, t you know, the only thing they're saying is attacking Trump and all the bad things that he's doing. All I'm saying is, except that the 2020 election was, was free and accurate. They won't even say that. You know, they won't even say the bare minimum of, hey, good job, Maricopa County supervisors running a clean election and defending it even though and why isn't doug deuce he can, he can he can do two things at once he can defend his own honor um by a certif that he that he certified the 2020 election um that he's being you know called out for by trump and everyone else he can defend his honor with that and he can move the party in a healthier way just by just by being a little bit more vocal about like thank you bill gates and and jack sellers and and stephen richard for 
for for defending is and you call it a moral imperative. I would call it a civic duty. I mean, that's like that's not like our election. This is our country, you know. Like I just don't understand that, you know. I don't think it would cost too much just to do that, you know. And and it's to me, it's a little bit demoralizing that's not happening. But that's why I'm like, well, if if not, if if they're not going to do it in a Republican primary, someone needs to do it in a in an independent run. If 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 these you know consultants, everyone else, just like, nope, can't even say that. Well, okay. then someone needs to run as an independent. Yeah. I think that's, <clears throat> I think that's very well said. Um, and then just to, just to finish off here, um, one thing I was interested in and saw in the news lately was uh, Jeff Flake, um, who was a former uh, U.S. senator, took a, um, Took a strong, took a strong position um, early on uh, that he wasn't going to go along with the, tra- you know, the Trump train, um, but decided to not to not run for re-election. He's now uh, Joe Biden's nominee to be um, ambassador of Turkey. But I just saw in the news Axios report saying that he's donated um, or his campaign committee has donated one hundred fifty thousand dollars to a sort of like an election reform foundation and i know they're floating a couple issues and i would just um a couple ideas like ranked choice voting and um, i'm not sure what the other ones are but i know just real real quick here to finish up our our podcast um to me ranked choice voting seems messy just because there's already uh you know if you're talking about trust in elections and being straightforward it, it seems to me kind of complicated where everyone puts different numbers in there's some algorithm that sort of spits out whoever to me that's a little bit i don't i don't know about that but um if you had if you had sort of uh your say what would be the you know the the straightforward election reforms that you'd like that you would like to see i've become uh very persuaded uh, that what we need is a nonpartisan top two primary system uh, where the political parties have no official role to play and no status uh, any greater than any other group of people who gather together for political purposes. Uh, I think that our um, two-party systems have served us well for much of our uh, nation in state's history, uh, but I think their time is past and that they are now a net negative rather than a net beneficial uh, factor. Um, that is the only reform that I think would be an improvement over the existing uh, system. Uh, some people want to have a top two primary system but allow party labels to be on the ballot. Uh, it's simply not right to have party labels on the ballot and have the parties have nothing to say about who runs under those, under that rubric. Um, ranked choice voting, I think, cheapens the uh, democratic choice um, because it's hard enough for people in a crowded primary to choose a single candidate that they support, much less deciding who's their second choice and their third choice and their fourth choice and maybe even their fifth choice. Um, We need to have some kind of runoff system uh, where you have a binary choice 
you vote for candidate A or candidate B, and the focus of the electorate is on that binary uh, choice. So I'm not persuaded that ranked choice voting is better than what we've got uh, today. And in fact, I think it's probably worse. All right, we'll, we'll finish it off there. Um, Sports World, go Cardinals, 5-0. and Go Mercury in the WNBA Finals right now. Suns are about to start up again. Exciting time for Valley Sports. Um, but thanks, everybody, for listening to the Political Notebook podcast. Uh, you can subscribe and, and listen uh, on any podcasting app. Thank you.